0: It comes like a fleeting memory, whatever you, memory grab, you grab just turns just to dust. dust, like eye contact with strangers <laughs> doing rather than you, it's a dream that you want to be real, the passing you know that it's the ship you see, think you saw it, I think you see it.
1: Awesome. All uh, right. We're doing this. this yeah. Is, this is a new experience for us. So. Thanks
0: to James here, we've upgraded. Yeah. We'll find out. Uh-huh. <laughs> let's see how this goes. Yeah, uh, Cheers, to boys. The, to
1: Cheers, the guys. To the shores.
2: I'm Definitely. stoked to have you guys here.
0: Yeah. I didn't get a cling from you. That's going to be oh. bad luck. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Can we, we just do it again? Mm. Just awesome. I, okay.
2: I need to hear. Oh, pick it up in the mic.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> make sure you make those logos are facing that way so we don't get
0: on the bottles. And the, oh, is that, is yeah, that, yeah, is that yeah, official? You never know, man.
2: <clears throat> Something blows up. They're like. Free product placement
0: or lawsuit potential? (laughs) Well, we are hoping to get sponsored by Bullet at some point. Yeah, that's kind of of what we're. Yeah, we're tired of buying our own whiskey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah.
2: We were talking about the other day with David. It was like, well, we got to cover up, you know, logos and stuff. And I was like, you know, they don't really police that as much because it's just so much free. It's everywhere. Yeah, Yeah, it's free product placement. Mm -hmm. Like, what is Apple going to do? Go to every podcast and. Like sure, the the microphone brand. Like no, they mm. want they want that everywhere. Yeah. So right, you know, turn the bullet around and be like, <laughs> bullet, we're coming for you. Uh
1: huh. So let's introduce you to our listeners. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess I guess I met you probably about seven years ago, 2016. Fifteen area,
2: yeah, that's a blur. Down down
1: that's... down the Austinian uh, downtown Austin. You were open up huh. and uh,
4: that's
1: kind of where I, I met you and we started. We fell in love at that time and <laughs> wow, talk about entrepreneurial craziness and headaches <laughs> well, you, and all the fun you, stuff. Is that
0: how you say it, Mortzubit? Mortzubit. 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 So, <laughs> is a Belgian bar, straight up on Congress, third in Congress.
2: Yeah, Beat translates in French to Sudden Death. I like so that. it's a pretty high-class joint, mm-hmm. expensive beer, Some of the one of the nicest bars in town with the most hardcore name. Mm. Like if you said, what's the name of your bar? And, oh, it's called Sudden Death. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of bar would you think you're going to? Spikers Bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah a Death Metal right. Bar or something like that. Uh, but people say, oh, let's go to beat And then, you know, there's uh, seven or eight beats across the, the world. One in Brussels. I used to go to that one that inspired me to open a Belgian beer bar. Mm. And if we wanted to get really into the backstory, I could go into that. But I never intended to call it Mort's Beat. It was because the the bar in Brussels called Mort's Beat. I just kept saying, oh, I'm going to open a Mort's Beat in Austin, and I'll change the name and mm. all that when I get closer to opening. But it took like two years. So by the time I finally opened, I was like, I just couldn't come up with a name that made my heart feel like it was better <laughs> than what I'd been calling it. So I was in Brussels, and I was like, hey, we're going to call this Mort's Beat. And they're like, whatever. It doesn't bother us. It's a
0: different country. They can't like.
2: They can't. Yeah. But on the day we opened practically, I feel like, and oh, it was on the day of my 30th birthday. Am I allowed to say this? Heineken sent me a cease and desist letter really? saying we're going to sue you if you don't change the name of your bar. What's their um, claimed that
0: that those two words.
2: I wonder if I signed something saying I wouldn't say this. <laughs> well, it's a long time probably
0: ago. Probably don't say it then. No, <laughs> no, if you're listening to this, don't, sell it. don't tell anyone. Don't no, tell it's, anyone. Fine. <laughs> it's fine.
2: Um, edgy, risky. Because they bought a business. They're a Dutch beer, Heineken. They're out of the mm-hmm. Netherlands originally. So they bought a business that owns a business that owns a brewery that makes a beer in Belgium called Mortsebeet, hmm. the beer itself. So then they're like, you're infringing on our name, Mm. because they had a trademark, and international trademark on the name Mort But even the lawyers here were like, you're going to win this because it's ridiculous, but do you want to spend $50,000 winning it? Right. Mm. And Heineken was, it was the most beautifully written letter I've ever read in my entire life. As soon as I read it, I was like, well, I've lost this one, because it was just like (laughs) impeccable. I was like, oh, my God. It was clear as day from top tier law firm. But anyway, so they went back and forth. And I was like, well, what if we do this? What if we do that? And they were like, no, you've got 10 days. No, you've got seven days. You know, they were just, oh, well. they were mean. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, fine. What about this? And then they didn't respond for like a month. And I was like, am I changing the name of my bar? Am I getting sued? Like, what's going on here? And then they wrote back randomly to know. And they are like, we accept. We accept what? If I sell the beer, Mort's beat, if they import it. Mm. If they import it, hmm. which at the time they said they were going to. I have to put, like, three or four drafts of that beer, which I was like, this is great. Why was, wouldn't you put yeah. a beer named the Mort's same beat, thing as your bottle? Yeah, exactly. Beautiful, lambic, great branding, wonderful stuff. And then I had to forfeit the .com, Oh, which I can't believe they didn't own. Yeah. And that was totally worth, like, hundred grand to them, probably. So I right. had to give them that. I had to give it to them and sign this, basically, a dollar-a-year deal that I get to use the name Uh But now I'm thinking... I should go to them and say, "Well, let's open a hundred of these across the country, and I'll manage them, and you <laughs> yeah, pay for you them, and let's work that there out." But go. anyway, <clears throat> so that's uh, I met you at your coffee shop, mm-hmm. yeah. and you were wearing a leather jacket. You were drinking a cappuccino and I thought you were just some bum regular. <laughs> Pretty much.
0: It basically is. Yeah,
1: basically. Yeah, too. totally. I, think you're I mean that out-
0: was basically the origin story of Medici. right? You were the bum regular at another coffee shop and you were like, What if I just bought
1: this? <laughs> totally. Oh, you
2: bought a coffee shop? <clears throat>
1: uh we our second one we we uh bought uh it was Metro Espresso Bar and that's our campus location.
2: Oh, you bought the one on Guadalupe? Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Okay. So, so he was he was winning out, and so we bu- we we bought it from him.
2: I remember it mm-hmm. being what it was before yeah. you. I remember that. Yeah, because I was a street rat down there. just kind of like. I guess I was younger because you grew up in Austin. Yes, totally. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think your hair was wet when I met you in Congress. You were like, oh, I just got back from a cold swim at Barton Springs. <laughs> totally. And uh,
0: so basically, you haven't changed. I haven't in. changed at all. <laughs> no. Yeah, however long. Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, no, I remember sitting at the spot at the bar <clears throat> and just kind of starting to chat and, mm-hmm. um i think you had a motorcycle mm-hmm. you're driving a motorcycle yeah. all the time uh, sc-
4: you're
1: like yeah.
2: that's my bike outside <laughs> 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 like, i just got back from the spring <laughs> i got
1: five kids at home well, i sound so much cooler when you talk about yeah <laughs> like, well no
2: you rolled up like on a, a motorcycle 100 <laughs> 100 uh, yeah. you rolled uh. up on a motorcycle you just came back from barton springs like austin guy owns coffee shops he's mm. living it up <laughs> owns this thing and i was actually surprised um by your demeanor because it was like the second or third time that we had actually started talking that mm-hmm. you like reached for a hug. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I operate too, to mm-hmm. a large degree. Cause I want to like get that connection quick. And mm-hmm. I was just impressed by your reaching out for the hug. Wow. Sooner. Willingness to hug. Willingness to hug. Yeah. It was I'm, just like, you're
1: I'm like, surprised hey, it man. took me two or three. <laughs> <laughs> <occasions>. <laughs> Usually that's on the first one. I'm totally. like, come in here. <laughs> get in here.
2: Well, I think that, you know, we just, I was just a regular there and, mm-hmm. We, once we started having that bond and then you were like, oh, you know, reached out and I was like, I like this guy. <laughs> like, but just to, just to have the sincerity of that was that, that hug mm-hmm. made me go, this guy wants to bond and connect mm-hmm. and build his community out. Mm-hmm. And that's what that hug told me. Oh, well,
0: wow. so, do you think it's a Southern thing? Because I think it's really normal in my experience growing up here that people hug. Mm-hmm. And also it's very common for people to say, I love you. Mm-hmm. Even just among friends. Yeah. Even guy to guy interesting do y'all uh, experience that
1: i mean yeah i i think i think i do but i, but I also kind of instigate that a lot so yeah. whether somebody's comfortable with it or not it's a whole nother <laughs> you're
0: the guy that's like come here come here i
1: love i love you so just it's got to
0: gotta be like a pass it's like hey love you it's not uh-huh. like yeah i love, I love you, you. Yeah. <laughs> stare you in the eyes did i tell you i love you yet so <clears throat> let's dive
2: into that a little bit where are you from originally
0: um, uh, part here in Austin, and then I did sort of my high school outside of San Antonio in a little town called Bernie.
2: I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. So I feel like I think about my <clears throat> dad when you just said what you said about my dad has southern hospitality to the T, pull over on the side of the road, change your tire for you kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I can never see him reaching out to hug a stranger. Though. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like, eh, that's a little weird, <laughs> but he's kind of more on the conservative side of mm-hmm. hill, hillbilly. um but I would say that in in Austin specifically, where in my groups in my uh hubs, that yes, what you're saying is very true, like I'm so fortunate, it sounds like you're saying the same thing that I've grown up around men where I can hug him and say, "I love you, man, mm-hmm. and it's like you care about and you have that empathy and right that's something that I feel like is not. Present in a lot of male culture still to this day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree with you that especially here it's like that openness to just yeah. connect like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, next to that's my question is like I find it to be very normal. Mm. Like I'll even hug and say I love you to like coworkers mm. that I've worked with for a while like probably less quickly than I would, you know, just a friend relationship. Mm-hmm. But I don't, it never makes anybody awkward. Yeah. But I don't think it's necessarily common in other places to behave that way.
2: Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if I've ever said I love you to my CPA. Actually, no, I I definitely have. No, I don't have. You saved how much? Have I told you that I love you? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, totally. I feel like accountants probably could use some love. Yeah, totally. I I do find that sometimes I have to be careful. I feel like saying, like, I love you or or being too, like... uh, I think i've been a little bit more checked in that a little bit because of hr <laughs> well i just thought i you know because like also whenever i've talked with my my staff i i i, I touch people a lot too mm-hmm. and and i've always kind of thought about that i was like i was like i don't think you know i feel like if someone had a problem with it they would tell me or something well, like i don't that, know but, man you're the boss yeah.
2: you know sometimes like but you come off so genuine that there's no way that you're coming yeah. across poorly in that front like if my employees were like not performing well, and I was yeah. just like, "Come here, let me, I love you," yeah. you know, and they're like, well, "Am I getting this raise? Like, what's going what's on?" Going yeah. Like, yeah. like yeah. James coming out of the blue with a hug. Am I getting laid off? <laughs> so, but no, I, I, um, with my entrepreneurial like founding team, mm-hmm. like guys from like like David and uh, and other people from the get-go, it's mm-hmm. hugs and love. And, and, yeah, I mean, and I feel support.
0: like in working relationships, it really has to kind of be like an an uh, equal setting, mm-hmm. like colleagues, like, or, or like if you're the CEO terrible. and you're telling, you know, the intern that you love him or her, like that yeah. might not be appropriate, <laughs> but like it's sort of similar level mm-hmm. working together, I feel like you can kind yeah. of show some more of that uh, camaraderie, mm-hmm. affection, at camaraderie. that level, mm-hmm. totally at that level, one hundred
2: percent. And mm-hmm. it, I actually this conversation is making me realize that I'm not doing that enough hmm. because when I I opened a restaurant in Bastrop. Like ten years ago, it was called Cafe Seventy One.
1: Really, I, not, I did not know about this one. Well, what it's road not, is it on? Highway Seventy. <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: oh, it was a uh, high traffic volume. High volume traffic does not mean a great location, is what I found out. Hmm. Um, when you're going sixty fucking miles an hour, <laughs> yeah, you're not stopping, even though I was at a red light. Mm-hmm. The best biscuits and gravy from this side of the Mississippi, you know that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, but I opened that, and my brother was there. Helping me paint, and this other person was there helping him paint, and he just kept going by that person every once in a while and telling them how great of a job they were doing. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that I like I knew like lift people up and all that. Maybe mm-hmm. it's more than ten years ago. This problem, yeah. Anyway, like I don't. This conversation is making me remember that I'm probably not doing that enough still, mm-hmm. even though I yeah, think positive
0: affirmation is really important. Yeah,
2: yeah. <clears throat> just in the people who like put their who work for you, Mm -hmm. who are vested in that vision, like, that is, like, a big deal. If they're, like, showing up every day and you're just like, hey, you are kicking ass at this. Hey,
0: you came today. (laughs) Yeah, you showed up.
2: And that's 90% of the battle. Now just make that shot of espresso. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I think I did have somebody that that kind of said that I didn't affirm them enough in that same way. So I might be... Mm like in a personal way, but I'm also generally not, uh, I don't think, I don't think I do that very well either to some degree. Like I think the person that was asking me this actually demanded a, a level of affirmation that I don't think I would ever meet. Mm. But uh, that's, I I remember questioning myself too, whenever I, whenever I had that conversation with him and and I was like, okay, I'm gonna make an effort. And I made an effort to do that more. Mm -hmm. And I still fell short of, of their, uh, Desire, desire. They
2: told you that you were still falling short. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah,
2: interesting. Yeah, yeah, this sounds that sounds
1: annoying. Yeah,
0: Uh, but I (laughs) I think there's also something beneficial about it for you personally. Like Mm -hmm. humans are more attuned to negative or attuned to negative emotions than we are to positive emotions, Mm. and so we tend to focus on what's out of place Mm. or we tend to focus on what's not working because that's what needs attention, Mm -hmm. right? But if you make a point in yourself to say, "I'm going to," pay attention to what i like pay attention to what's going well and actually call that out Mm. Mm. it's almost like meditating on the good and i think it's going to have like a positive effect on your outlook in life too Mm. just to like notice what you like notice what seems to be working yeah speak it out loud and it's like oh wow life's actually better Mm. than maybe i was thinking it was
2: yeah what a skill set to just identify that and pay attention to it like Mm-hmm. Imagine like my and our marriages and everything else in the middle. Imagine if you just went to your wife and you're like every you just acknowledge
1: mm. that's
2: half of it. It's like when I go yeah. to my wife and be like, hey, you really handled a lot today. Like you took the kids, you did this, you did that. Like, I just want to say like high five to you. Like, thanks for handling that. Yeah. I would probably eliminate 75% of all t- tiffs <laughs> yeah. in my relationship just uh-huh. by remembering to acknowledge and by removing any entitlement that I might feel, why I don't say those things because mm-hmm. I'm feeling like, well, it's your, you know, like, yeah. a, like the, maybe it's the person's job to perform that something at work, mm-hmm. so you don't feel like you need to because you're paying them, maybe, like, mm-hmm. so you don't know if you should, but at the same time, it's it can't hurt, yeah, <laughs> it can only help.
1: It's so hard. It's it's kind of difficult to navigate this because I, I don't disagree with what we're talking about. but there's also how much do you start building, God, this is going to sound so horrible, but sort of a culture of a neediness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I, 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 I know I'm sounding really negative here, but because there's a, there's a certain, because I I think being able to recognize when people are doing something well Mm -hmm. and acknowledging it, but then also, there has to be... <clears throat> oh, shoot. Well, I don't know how to
2: just, say it. Just I, If you don't mind me... Yeah, yeah, about, go for it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like, I'm, I'm exploring this. I don't know. I'm kind
2: of know. in this mentality lately where my startups... So mm-hmm. I have this thing now that I showed you about importing that stuff from Germany. Mm-hmm. Everyone helping has to have some equity play in it. Like, I'm I'm trying to build out this, this infrastructure where... Mm-hmm. The core people have like true stocks incentives from the very beginning. The only problem is if you give someone stock options, it counts as income, but Mm -hmm. you hope that you sell the company and then they get Mm -hmm. that taken, subtracted from what their stock options would cost. So they don't have to pay that tax burden because giving someone stock options counts as income, whatever they're worth.
1: i I found out the hard way. (laughs) Whether or not you're getting it.
2: (laughs) So what's going on now is phantom Mm -hmm. stock. So you give someone phantom stock, which is basically a, bonus mm. where it's like hey there's a million shares and you're gonna earn some percentage of them a hundred thousand over your four years mm. so when the company's sold you get the rights to what those hundred thousand right. shares would oh, be worth okay.
1: but they're not responsible for them now they're not responsible tax-wise. for them now they don't get oh. any
2: annual k-1s or oh, anything gotcha. like that along mm-hmm. the way which is another conversation to have with them because mm-hmm. it's like hey where's my k-1 it's like trust me bro you don't, don't want, want one don't <laughs> because it you know you are have to pay taxes on it and you don't uh-huh. know what a tax distribution is and mm-hmm. all this it just gets complicated but i'm at it, i'm doing it now <clears> or <throat> i don't want to own i want everyone involved to have that kind of skin in the game mm. so that they so you can build that vibe because mm-hmm. people are getting to a point where it's like they want to work for things that they believe like they same thing with like Web three movements. Like people are not going to play a game in the future unless they own some fraction of it in some capacity.
1: Well, let me let me ask you on this because I, I I I do agree with you, but then also as the business owner or the entrepreneur and starter of things, if know, they you,
2: leave, they get nothing.
1: Okay, okay. This, uh, so that's that. that's the that's the hard thing because I know Matt, you're you were kind of on the other side of this too, as far as you know, you're giving this equity away. <clears throat> And that means if that person leaves, they still have the equity, but no longer are, is contributing to the company sure. itself.
2: Phantom stock is, sorry, phantom stock is if they leave, then they are not entitled to anything at the time of a sale. Mm-hmm. But for some core founders, they do get true vesting equity with typically a 12 month cliff, 4 month a uh, 4 year vesting schedule. Mm-hmm. So they let's say they're going to get 4% over 4 years. They work for 12 months, they vest that cliff which gives them 1% of their 4, 25% of their total. And then the rest is broken across over 36 months to get the rest of their equity. Yeah. But it's true. They could leave after 1 year, mm-hmm. 12 months in a day and walk away with 1 1% of the company. Yeah. And then it's like, well, did you get enough good work out of them to justify that? And if the answer is no, then you chose the wrong person, and mm-hmm. that's it. Or typically, people have buybacks where it's like we get to give, pay off, to, we get to buy it back from you at half fair market value, and all that oh, kind of stuff. So, like, you can work in anything like that. Yeah, I didn't mean to.
1: No, that's that's just a question I've always had and kind of concern. <clears throat> what do you thinking? Yeah, man? I
0: was just going to respond to your <clears throat> your question about like does positive affirmation maybe sort of like constantly doled out. Create a culture of neediness, or even reduce incentive for performance, because negative um, <clears throat> negative reinforcement actually can get people to improve mm-hmm. in, at certain times. And I think my my thought to that is like, well, if you think about a young child, if a young child is learning a skill, I don't know why I just thought chopsticks or something, <laughs> like. but like uh-huh. let's say throwing a ball. You yeah. know, they throw a ball and they can. They can throw it. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, great job. You did that. But Mm. at some some point, you're not going to reward them with a positive affirmation for throwing the ball. Mm. You know, now it's like, okay, they need to level up. They need to catch the ball. Mm. Then they need to be able to throw and catch the ball with me. And then they, you know, so you want to be aware of people's, where people are going. Oh, gotcha. And what's the vision that we're all sort of trying to achieve together? Mm. And then you... You notice, and I think Mark can call out positive movement toward that goal, not necessarily just something that was good, you know, 20 days ago mm-hmm. and, st- sure. you know, yeah. Hey, Hey, you're still making the heart shape on that latte the same way. That's mm-hmm. great. Good for you. It's like, that's not really and at they, that point.
2: And they won't feel value right. in getting that because they're like, I've mastered this. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need thanks for this anymore. Right. Yeah. So then at that you, point,
0: maybe you need to say, Hey, like... You're, you're slipping a little bit.
3: Mm. You, that, oh, yeah. You
0: are better a, at that last that, week. That's a broken mm-hmm.
2: heart. You're going to ruin a relationship with <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> latte. If
0: you send that out, somebody's breaking up. <laughs>
2: you know, that's true. Like, you, yeah. I mean, I have situations where delivery drivers go out, mm-hmm. and somebody's like, where is my order? And you've got to come down and be like, "Where? Where? how are we screwing up, mm-hmm. and what's the corrective action for never screwing up again? Mm-hmm. And then you hold them to that, and once it gets resolved, that's an opportunity for for congratulation because there's always going to be hiccups mm-hmm. and a problem, but if they solve it the right way, like if there's a customer service issue, mm-hmm. like they said the heart was screwed up, but then they fixed it quickly and they made an impeccable, beautiful latte heart. But hey, thanks for fixing that that quick. Like that was really great that you yeah. pulled that off fast. So those are the opportunities to come in and and have that kind of tone. I don't know if you want to reach out me for a, a hug at that moment. Yeah. But. <laughs> when I was, a kiss on the cheek. I don't know. <laughs>
0: when I was probably 13, I was pretty serious about playing the piano. And we had a baby, upright baby grand piano in the house. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful old piano. My parents bought it f- when I was like five. And the, the the legend of that particular instrument is that it was Willie Nelson's traveling piano, like road oh, piano. Oh, That's cool. I've never been able to confirm if that's true or just like a tall tale that you know, somehow slipped. There's into a the, joint
2: still hidden underneath. Yeah, that Right. Piano.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, I was like practicing a lot and it was in the middle of the house. And so it was hard to practice, you know, it was really disturbing to everybody else. And mm-hmm. I told my parents, I really wanted this like weighted key electric piano mm-hmm. that I could put in my room and play practice with headphones on mm. 88 keys, you know, full scale. And they're pretty expensive, like maybe two or three grand and, uh, that, that was a significant amount of money for my parents. And my mom made me a deal and she said, uh, we've agreed that we're gonna buy it for you if you practice piano for 30 minutes every single day for a year. And I was like, I can do that. And at first it was like I started, I was really diligent, practiced every day, you know, and, and my mom was giving me a lot of positive feedback like, hey, you're actually doing it, That's, this is awesome, this is really great. And then at a certain point it's like, actually this is really annoying. <laughs> like you I'm kind of annoyed that you're trying to practice right now so that you can meet this goal and also she's probably like holy shit he's actually gonna meet the goal and we're gonna have to dole out these this three grand that we don't have and <laughs> you know and then oh, it's, So it
2: was practice on the main the piano you already had yes,
0: every day for right. a year.
2: Oh, so not we're gonna buy it and you have to use it.
0: No. Well, you have to practice uh, every day for a year and then we'll buy it. Wow. And then at some point it just kinda of stopped. There's no feedback. It's like, okay, you're on your own, you're kind of you got to do this yourself i'm not giving you positive or negative feedback i'm just sort of living with you you mm-hmm. know and then i remember one night the family was out late dinner movie something we get home 10:30 all my siblings are younger than me and we all walk into the house and i go sit down and i start playing the piano and my mom just like screams at me like it's been a long hard day you're 13 you know? at the time maybe yeah so my siblings are probably like 9 and 7 mm-hmm. yeah she's like what are you doing like, I'm practicing. She's like, you know, the time for that was earlier in the day, you mm-hmm. know, and got on me. And it's like, you're not doing this now. And I was like, six months into this, I was mm-hmm. like, I am not, not doing. And we got in this big we fight. We had a deal. Yeah. Got in this big fight about it. And But I just thinking about our conversation about feedback, you know, there was a lot of positive feedback, then a lot of negative feedback, then a lot of just sort of like you're on your own. And then as it progressed further toward the finish line i think they started kind of rooting for me in it mm. Mm. and ultimately i did do it i practiced every day for mm. a year and you got, got quite it? good yeah did you get and the... they bought it oh wow yeah okay.
2: badass and you got that and you had it in your room mm-hmm. oh man that must have been a sitting down at that <laughs> piano being like oh my god like yeah i earned this <laughs> and i bet it had all the cool features to do all the all the stuff on it that like that probably made you get more into like alternative Music. Well it
0: wasn't a synthesizer mm. Just a
2: straight up electric piano uh,
0: Electric piano but like made to replicate A real piano Got Like it. The keys were weighted mm. there was a, It was a full 88 keys Like it made a, a, a sound that sounded like a real piano
2: There was no button to hit to turn it into like a
0: I think it had a couple of modes Like, a, like you or, could make it sound like a Rhodes or, or some organ or something yeah, like yeah. that But cool. I was mostly just interested in the piano Were you
2: I, reading sheet music and all yeah. that? Yeah mm-hmm. That's amazing
0: yeah, I was doing. I was. Uh, I think at the time I was playing somewhat competitively, hmm. like I was going to these During competitive recitals. I my timeline is a little bit skewed on that, but yeah, around that yeah. time I had a um, private instructor, and I was you know taking on some fairly complicated cool. stuff.
1: Well, I kind of want to because let me let me kind of restate this because um, I'd like to kind of nail this down a little bit with. Like the positive reinforcement, because I think the, one of the points that you made as far as, you know, you're you're giving reinforcement for that sort of progression, but not for the same exact thing over and over again. Right. It's like, oh, that's great that you did that thing that you did 500 times before. Um, <laughs> if you make...
2: 365 impeccable lattes, I'll buy you something nice. <laughs> well, well, I, I just want to
1: comment- I'm trying to figure out what, what, my, what, my, what my pushback on on this has been, because there's something about this sort of a culture of sort of almost babying or- Well, let me make a comment I think, about that. I don't the, know if that's what I'm reacting to. Yeah. I'm not sure, because I, about, I agree with you, but I'm not sure why.
0: About the one night where we came home late and she was mm-hmm. mad at me for actually trying to practice. hmm like I think her anger was justified. Like she was right. I mm. should have done it earlier in the day. It was irresponsible of me. Mm. And part of well, part of learning that is her saying if you want to do this goal, you have to be responsible and respectful to the rest of the house while you do it. Otherwise you're not going to get to do it. And mm. she ended up letting me do it that night. Um but I knew moving forward, like if I tried to pull that crap again, mm. I was going to lose. And the further down the road I went, the more I didn't want to lose right mm-hmm. it's whereas if she had come home if we'd come home and started playing at ten thirty, and she's annoyed but if she said hey i just i'm i really want you to know i'm proud of you for doing this this late at night i know that's going to be hard you're doing really good on this in the future let's not do it at 10 30 mm-hmm. i wouldn't have walked away with that with the understanding that i needed to be respectful mm-hmm. i would have walked away from that thinking that was an option
2: mm-hmm. i can this late at night again yeah, later on right
0: and she's asking if I could be respectful you know but yeah it's kind of on the table still mm-hmm. so I think that negative reinforcement was also beneficial it was negative but it was used to push me in the right direction mm-hmm. and to actually pick up some other values along the way like no you can you can do this but you need to be respectful about it mm-hmm. which wasn't part of the original contract right it wasn't like if you pl- practice piano every day for 30 minutes respectfully yeah then we'll buy the piano
2: yeah, between ten and three PM, right? Then that's it. So, not to take a light spin on it, but if you were really talented as a parent, I would say, can you play something that's going to make this whole house fall asleep? Because that'd be really beautiful. <laughs> I would be like, play Philip Glass, just real quiet, yeah. And everyone Chopin. just kind of, yeah, everyone just kind of <laughs> drift away in sleep. You could play for two hours if you want. <laughs> Because that would be nice too, but if you're just like clanking away, like ah oh, shit, ah oh, shit, oh, ah yeah, shit, totally. And everyone would be like, There's oh, definitely more God. of that." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. That's that's nowadays that you'd be like, "All right, mom, I'll play at eleven o'clock at night, mm-hmm. and everyone falls asleep." Mm-hmm. Now that you've got it.
0: So, yeah. what are you still feeling pushback? What are you disagreeing with?
1: Um, I don't know. I think a more no one should ever have positive reinforcement. Yeah, totally, never. <laughs> well, I, I I guess there's there's a few things kind of floating around in my head as far as kind of like helicopter parents and. You know, your kids are should always be you know like the 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 participation trophy, this sort of like this inclusiveness that kind of sometimes actually has a detrimental effect. And I think you're kind of speaking to that already. And so, because sometimes I think you know whenever you're you're talking to people and have they want that positive reinforcement, but there's also that there's also like a reality that you're facing. I think it, it was easy for us to see you Know 100 or 200 years ago because if you didn't do something, it wasn't that someone said thank you, it's you didn't die. <laughs>
2: yeah, there wasn't enough crops, and yeah. there was like the factory uh-huh. didn't have enough output.
1: Yeah, or you get eaten by a lion or something yeah. like that. It's, there was very clear consequences uh-huh. for not delivering. Yeah, yeah. and if today you didn't it's, practice the piano
0: for 30 minutes. A lion literally that. ate <laughs> you. That's <still laughs> the way it was. <laughs>
2: That's hilarious. No, but like you made me start thinking about my childhood because my parents didn't. I mean no knock against my parents but they were not as I think I turned out okay so like whatever they did kind of worked but they did not hold me to anything that I Mm. said I was going to do like thank God I was naturally obsessed because they didn't need to on a lot Mm -hmm. of things but like I was so into so many things and then God knows what I'd be doing if they had been like no you're showing up again Mm -hmm. to, to that like oh it's been a year I'm over it you know like I was bouncing around even back then from like oh cool do this for a year like you know what not into that anymore do something else they'd never said like no you need to You like what do you want to do like they're never like you need to focus on this and Triple down on it.
1: So, what's your first experience as far as completing something or sticking with something? Because I mean, now right now as an entrepreneur, like I know a lot of the things that you've done—from Uncle Billy's to Mort's to Undenberg to sure. <laughs> Longhorn Meat Market. I mean, you have a lot of things that you've done, and it—it's not—it's not something that you—you you walked away too early. It seemed like you've kind of brought things to completion, or at least to a degree yeah. of success if that makes sense
2: yeah i mean i think it's because of they didn't need to push me because i was obsessed like mm-hmm. when i got into skateboarding they didn't need to tell me you should keep skateboarding because i skateboarded for like seven years like a maniac mm-hmm. and when i said i'm done skateboarding <coughs> yeah. like, so they asked me like are you going skateboarding today no nope, i'm not going skateboarding anymore. Mm-hmm. they're like whatever Have you ever like, seen
0: the movie adaptation with Nicolas Nick, cage oh yeah totally. that's how much fuck fish Remember uh, Chris's? Uh, I've seen what's, that movie like
2: five times. And I'm trying to remember that. The
0: guy, uh, Chris, shoot, what's his name? I love that actor.
2: The one that's married to Meryl Streep.
0: Yeah, and he's like got, gets really into the ocean. He's like, I loved fish. Oh yeah. And then one day, I just decided, fuck fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't. Never step back in the ocean again. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what happened to me with skateboarding. I have no idea. I was like, I'm going pro. Blah blah blah. I got really good. And then one day, I was just like, I don't want to go today. And my friends were like, all right, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, you know, like, oh, I'm going to stay home today. I'm not going to see you. And then I just never went out again. I mm. have no idea what happened. But to answer your question, I had follow through on mm-hmm. everything. It just, the arc might have been 12 or 24 or 36, you know, months. Mm-hmm. And then I was just obsessed with, like, I was in a band for five years. Like, I had follow through, but i never, never, I don't really ever remember my parents being like, if you do something for a year, like let's let's go let's go back, let's keep working on something. My parents would just let me decide my entire fate on my own, one hundred percent.
0: Do you, looking back on that, see that as a positive or negative thing for you?
2: I think that if I would did not have my genetic makeup, it would be a very negative thing. Because but you do. I mean, it... for me, it worked out. Yeah. Because I had extreme flexibility. I was a middle child. They were focusing on my older brother, my younger sister. I really got to squeeze through the cracks. I was sneaking out. I was getting away with everything. But I feel like, to a benefit, I got to do so many things and maybe never told, no, stick with this. It was a very flexible life that I got to explore a lot, which is part of the consequence of me. I mean, not consequence, but how I ended up maybe what I am doing today. But I sometimes think, like, man, I—if they had said, "Don't stop playing the drums," or something like that, because I was playing, I was in private percussion lessons for a decade, hmm. and well, seven, so, so was seven or eight years. Yeah, if they had been like, "You really want to quit? Like, we'll just go five more times." And mm-hmm. see, like, if something like that had <laughs> happened, then yeah, I mean, I was a—I was sight reading percussion music and backing up bands and just. Because I was a studio drummer, pretty mm-hmm. much. Like, I, I would, I might be playing drums in big, fun bands now. But, <laughs> but I don't have any regret about that because I love what I'm doing now. But I just don't think that most people with no structure—that's what it was. Well, it was do, no structure, it feels like no structure. What do you think?
1: It, does this kind of have to do more with maybe upbringing and, and examples your your parents are, or <clears> or <throat> your your community that you're part of that kind of gives you that?
2: Yeah just to say like kind of close this whole section saga up of this Mm -hmm. when my grandma died when i was 14 or 15 14 years old i had such a close relationship with my grandma and grandpa that i asked my parents if i could move in with my grandpa Mm. so at 14 years old i moved in with my grandpa living by himself because i didn't want him to be alone Mm. he was an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. he had started a bunch of companies in austin uh, mostly cable television. He started the first cable tel- television company in the city. Oh wow! Um, long time ago, obviously. Yeah. Um, and those islands, those rock islands in the middle of Ladybird Lake, mm-hmm. like he put those rock islands out there. Oh really? Oh yeah, because he was. They were paving away for power lines and moving all the rocks out, mm-hmm. and he order, ordered them to just throw it in the middle of the. Of that. You talking about like over on the
0: <clears throat> east side of the highway?
2: Yeah, by the power station yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. all the way over there, you Snake Island and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Like mm-hmm. my grandpa put all those, put oh. all the rocks out there because he had to move the debris because mm-hmm. he was putting power lines in. Because uh, he was first with the electric company, mm-hmm. and then he left the electric company to go start a cable television company. Anyway, so because of that upbringing with him, he saved my lack of structure mm-hmm. because I was able to take the lack, what I feel like is lack of structure,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and go oh. I'm just mildly ADD and motivated. Mm-hmm. And my grandpa would let me just throw out all my crazy ideas and he would help me brainstorm help all of them. Him. Oh, oh wow. my God, I would come home and be like, well, this isn't working out. And he'd be like, well, get us a beer and let's talk about it. Oh, really? That was my grandpa, <laughs> 100%. And turn on the Cheech and Chong while we're at it. That was 100% <laughs> my, my life from 20 uh, 14 to 24 when he died. I lived mm. with him until he died when I was 24 years old. Oh, wow. I lived with my grandpa until he That's such away.
1: a cool thing. Mm-hmm.
2: The greatest experience of my entire life. Mm. Like, sure, life's great now, mm-hmm. but whew, time with grandpa, man. Yeah.
1: So, do you think he he shaped your sort of <coughs> entrepreneurial uh, spirit that you have? Oh yeah, yeah,
2: one hundred percent. I I just be like, tell him a story why things weren't working or what was happening, and he would say, well, let me tell you a story. And mm. I mean, he was born in the in nineteen twenty eight, oh nine twenty two twenty eight.
0: Same year my grandfather was born. Oh mm-hmm. wow,
2: yeah. He was just profound, man. Yeah. This is a guy who who had, you know, just gotten into World War II because of his age and then right and then like a year and a half later it ended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he went came back and got straight into electrical engineering at UT and then the city of Austin offered him a job before he graduated. Hmm. And that was his, that was it. Hmm. And then he started cable television companies. Yeah. He's in like the cable television encyclopedia Are you serious? book of, that's of people like that but anyway uh-huh. yeah i know he he saved my add uh-huh. he was like well just pivot it into whatever you want and <laughs> i was like thank you grandpa for that validation <laughs> yeah and he supported every step of the way with that's me man funny. yeah but i will i got clearly i'm infatuated with this song of my life because i'm now it's bringing up stuff but the most profound thing that's also the most fortunate thing is i could fail so hard hmm. And still come back to that kind of mentorship. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I want to try to recreate for people later on in my life. Yeah, I could fail miserably and still go, Grandpa, what what I do? How do I make this better next time? Because mm-hmm. I started doing these startups really young. Mm-hmm. And he would just be like, get us a beer and let's talk about it. And I didn't have to worry about a lot of the fundamental stuff when I was younger. Because mm-hmm. we had a very symbiotic relationship. I took care of him, made him breakfast, got the mail. He eventually got old in a wheelchair I took him to his doctor's appointments every day. Mm-hmm. Took him to bingo every day. <laughs> every day? Every day. <clears throat> he was a bingo maniac. My grandma died and then eventually he had a bingo girlfriend. So then I started no pick, way. then I started picking up his bingo girlfriend mm-hmm. and him, taking them both to bingo, dropping them off, going to sit at uh, Bolden Creek Cafe for 2 hours
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then going and picking them back up at bingo. That was my life for years.
1: That's hilarious.
2: Yeah, anyway. So <laughs> that's how that whole thing happened. I forgot what the whole question was, but I well, went it seems down like him lane. being
1: like an entrepreneur and, and doing those things, uh, he that he understood that sort of you need to fail and and that's kind of a part of the process or or so it it seems to me totally. So I think that's something you understand is you have to fail, you yeah. have to fail a lot,
2: big time. And
1: yeah. I think that's something that why well, you and I have gotten along really well is because that's something that we talk about our failures and yeah. <laughs> and some of it's like. Are you going to hold me today or are you going to, am I going to hold you? And then, <laughs> <laughs> who, like, whose turn is it? <laughs> no, but it's
2: just great to go to someone back to like, circling all back to like yeah. the hug and connection from uh-huh. the first time that we met where it's just to know that you can go to someone and say, this is miserable mm-hmm. and I'm glad I don't have to pretend with you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that is important mm-hmm. right? because it's tough out there. I mean, for everybody in the world, <clears throat> but mm-hmm. when you're, you know. got your own toughness you find your own little tribe you Mm -hmm. can be vulnerable with him talk about man i got these sba loans and debt and this isn't working and that's not working and it's not looking good and uh something better great better happen soon
1: well it's it's i read an article four or five years ago about ceos specifically that um you know as far as like suicide and, and death rate was because they don't have anybody they can go to because if they're if they show any sort of weakness then you know their, their stock prices badly, go bit yeah. down. It reflects badly. They lose confidence from their staff and employees, yeah. and and I think that's something why it's you know again relationships where you can kind of like I mean Matt's had five or six companies and you know we've talked about I mean you you understand that pressure and it doesn't mean that everything's going to actually fall apart but it could it's like that's the reality oh. and so if, if you if you're not experiencing it on on a, on a regular basis then it's hard. It's hard to understand that. It's like you can't go to tell your barista, like, "Oh, this is what's going on right now." There's mm-hmm. three months worth of payroll left, and <laughs> totally. I don't know how to solve it.
2: There's two months worth of payroll. Mm-hmm. There's one month. There's one week. I've been oh, there. Oh, by
0: the way, make those lattes better. Yeah, yeah. That heart sucks, and you might I don't not know have what a job. to do about it, but I know what you can do about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you might not
2: have a job next week, but you better. Yeah. Yeah. A support group like that, mm-hmm. I'm like. Um, that's what I want more. I mean, that's
0: a really interesting observation. It, it seems plainly obvious that an organization can't run with that sort of amount of uh... transparency. Well, I didn't want to use that okay. word yet because I want to contrast that. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to say, like, there are issues like in a family, whatever the the. A husband and wife are fighting about it mm. isn't appropriate for them to bring that to their children mm. mm-hmm. you know that would be actually abusive for a mom to like sit down her kids and be like your dad was a real asshole earlier and here's the reasons why he's a piece of shit and you know whatever it's like no go to your girlfriends and talk about that mm. mm-hmm. um, it's the same within a company if a CEO is complaining about investors mm-hmm. to a lower level employee that's obviously unethical mm-hmm. and yet of other institutions like government obviously but i even hear this within some of the larger uh companies that i've worked in especially from um lower level positions it's like we want transparency mm. why won't you just tell us what our runway is mm. you know and from that position i'm like yeah it makes sense just be honest with us you know but then i'm just realizing right now that's like that would be completely inappropriate <laughs> Like, you do your job and I'll do mine, and Mm -hmm. there's parts of my job that you don't need to know about. Mm -hmm. And that's actually good by design because we're all holding this thing up together. Mm -hmm. And if you know everything about me and what I'm doing in my job, then you're spending way too much effort. And I'm not doing my job well enough to make sure that you don't have to be super bothered with what I'm concerned with.
2: Yeah. It's tricky. I've had... um... First of all, just to be transparent. I have complained about an investor to a employee before. <laughs> <Like> at, <laughs> I at, probably at, have too. More to <laughs> you know, me, they're like, "This guy came in. His name is Bleep. And what do we do about that, Mike? Just do Just give him what he wants. Like <laughs> he just, he's a he's an sob. You know, he's he's mad that for two years COVID didn't do X Y Z. You know, we didn't have this. He's he just he's just grumpy. Just give, <laughs> give him his discount. Hook him up with some, some yeah. beer." Uh, but you know he's an a hole. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, I'm like, what you're saying about you want the staff to have a a hive mentality on goals and like achievable metrics and things like that, mm-hmm. where it's like we gotta hit a hundred grand next month, we gotta hit two hundred grand next month, we gotta hit these sales metrics. But to then follow up and say, because if we don't, this happens. Mm-hmm. That is the problem. Because you want them to achieve, but you have to position it where it's like, when and if we hit this, you get X. And that ends the conversation. When this happens, you get this. Mm-hmm. And then you don't. But if someone says, well, if we get below our sales, if some employee is like, well, if we under, if we don't hit our sales goal for 12 months straight, then does that mean the company can stay afloat? Like if somebody asks that question, then you go, well, yeah, because we're financed. Like you would answer it that way. But if you tell somebody, or your whole company, that there's only three months' worth of money in the bank, that is the absolute most dysfunctional thing you could do for the morale of your company because people are going to start looking for a job immediately. Mm-hmm. But what sucks is they also deserve to know, but you have to reserve enough for good severance pays if you do go under
0: Totally. at but the same time. Mm-hmm. I went through uh, the collapse of a startup recently that I was working for. And they sort of were on the wrong end of the other side of this, which is that ship went down and we found out on the day we were fired.
2: That they had no, oh, wow.
0: Yeah, that it was over. It's just like, and then everybody's just kind of like, oh, okay. So wow. a little bit more transparency would have been helpful or maybe a little bit more discernment that to your point, like <laughs> maybe the sh- you decide the ship goes down at the point where you can ensure that everybody who's going to be out of a job has some severance. Mm-hmm. There was no severance. There was uh, two weeks, and then a modified contract was sent out to claw that back in exchange for stock in the company that was now worth nothing, <laughs> Wait, <laughs> which no one signed.
2: They tried to get you to give up your severance for stock? Uh-huh. That sounds... What's the word? It was a mess. What's the mm-hmm. word? It Not dysfunction. It's predatory? Mm-hmm. It sounds a little predatory. Um, but like... the. the also employees which are the literal backbone of making everything work mm-hmm. they may not and if some folks are listening they're going to say well give us a chance to understand the some of the one-on-ones that take place it takes a long time to to educate a staff on burn rate and what the goals are and mm-hmm. they don't understand that there's like convertible note deals that you're working on mm. that if you hit a certain metric then additional financing might come in and that's just a whole like you don't have time to teach a class yeah. on this kind of stuff but incentives like if y'all had the incentive if y'all were told we got to hit which maybe you did like we got to hit this goal this time boom 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 we grow at this rate and if you if certain people were given enough of a, of a reward metric to go after then I don't know maybe things get different maybe if there's a so what I'm trying to implement now um well what i'm trying to implement through the new director of longhorn is these kinds of bonus incentives where if there's not a single customer complaint if there's not a single piece of anything in our scrap barrel then what we do with our scraps especially bones is we throw him through this bone grinder that I bought through
0: Alibaba. Just quickly exp- explain what Longhorn is. <laughs> Sorry. Now that we're talking about bone grinders. Well, yeah. uh, James, uh, killed it's people a mortuary. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, The mafia rents us from 11 to 3 in the morning every day. Um, no, it's a Longhorn Meat Market is a, a butcher shop and wholesale meat processor in Austin, Texas. and we Most of our business comes from hotels, restaurants, food trucks, uh, catering companies. and uh, But a lot of our business, which spiked right before COVID and throughout COVID and the quote-unquote meat shortage was home delivery. And when customer service kicks in and someone's like, well, I'm going to place an order and I want it between 11 and 12 when they check out and they choose that on the website. If it's there at 12.15, you've built yourself a problem that Mm -hmm. you have to then solve because you've caused this. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, make the delivery window 11 to 1. No one's complaining anymore because you Mm -hmm. widened the window. But so we're building an incentive program for Um, Everyone at every level for cogs to stay at a certain point, for the bone grinder, for the the waste barrel, uh, because we cut femur bones and bone marrow bones for a bunch of restaurants here in town that are Mm -hmm. fancy joints. And if there's no waste in the barrel at the end of the week, everyone gets you know, you get a bonus. Like That's what we're trying to work on and build incentives like that so people are more careful and diligent when they cut. Mm -hmm. They don't want to waste things. They know that if anything that gets thrown in there, which they have to because we're regulated by the state of Texas, we're inspected every day of the week. Really? By the the state health
1: department. Mm -hmm.
0: Every day? Every day. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: it's crazy.
2: Because you know how you're inspected, what, three times a year maybe? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, once a quarter basically, yeah.
2: So our butcher shop division for retail is inspected once a quarter. Mm Mm-hmm. But our wholesale, that's where we sell to restaurants because mm-hmm. it's for resale for thousands of people to eat daily. Yeah. We're inspected every every day of the week. That's a
0: bottleneck of public health.
2: 100% pathogen maintenance. I'm,
0: I'm shocked. I'm kind of amazed. That's really cu- cool. Well, people need to know
2: that we are inspected every day, but HEB... I'm coming after you, HEB. <laughs> HEB hires people. They'll claim they don't. The state of Texas inspectors told me they did. So take it up with the state. Um, that they sell more wholesale than we do. HEB does. <laughs> if you're a food truck and you run out of ground beef, pork chops, chicken.
0: Oh, yeah. You're running to HEB.
2: You go to HEB and it's not state-inspected product. It's not USDA. Now, if you get the things that are in the chubs, those chubs come from a USDA plant.
0: What is that, like a cellophane-wrapped?
2: It's If you get anything that is impeccably packaged that has a circle symbol that says federally inspected by on it, Mm. but the trays, anything they cut at HEB, any of the foam trays with saran wrap on them, the trays of pork chops, any of that stuff, the chicken, whatever, it's not inspected by anybody. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're taking it to their food truck, their restaurant. I know people who are like, well, I get my stuff at uh, HEB and, you know, I buy my pork chops from there. It's not a great price. Your price is better, but I don't need a lot of it. So I'm not going to order from you. I just go to HEB when I need it. Yeah. They don't know that it's illegal.
0: It is illegal. I was just about to ask that. It
2: is illegal for them to buy uninspected product hmm. and sell it to consumers who have – they're selling uninspected product.
0: So it's
1: not really so H-E-B. It's, it's, it's the it is, it's the customers that are going to –
2: H-E-B claims we don't sell wholesale, Yeah, and they mm-hmm. have every right to say we don't, we don't sell wholesale because they don't advertise they sell wholesale. Mm-hmm. But when you come in and you're swiping with your business debit and credit card and you're buying wholesale and taking it to your restaurant or your food truck –
0: So you're not technically buying wholesale.
2: Because so you're, you're, you're not getting You're playing
0: retail prices.
2: But HEB sells more wholesale to more wholesale people right. mm. than I do. Right. And I'm inspected every day of the week, yeah. and they're inspected every quarter. Well, yeah. it, it raises
0: a question like, if it's illegal for a restaurant to go to HEB and buy meat and then cook it and, and give it to me, then why is it legal for me to go to HEB <laughs> and buy meat and cook it's it and give to it to con- me? It's straight yeah.
2: to consumer. So it's about the the chain links occurrence and the events that could take place to increase the pathogens mm. in the product. I totally
0: get it because yeah. like if they buy a bunch of stuff and feed 300 people and it's bad yeah that's a lot of people who are sick whereas if just your family if it's just me mm. and yeah. my family that's not that big and of a deal but
2: you might buy 4 pounds of ground beef but if you're a food truck or a restaurant you're yeah. going to buy 200 pounds yeah it's going to sit in your fridge for days there's environmental right. control issues and if you have a refrigerator that breaks then you're like oh I don't want to miss my cogs so then you end up selling that anyway to people and then you get more people sick more family sick right and you
0: that's kind of amazing like anytime i kind of find a piece of our society that you have no idea what's going on or what you're being protected from you wouldn't even have ever thought about it totally and then you realize all these systems that are in place and all these people who are employed to go around to uh meat markets yeah every day yeah and make sure that Things are on the up and up.
2: I was going to hire a lobbyist. Oh, I got a quote from a lobbyist group that was like, we can get this on the ballot with the state of Texas to make every single place that sells meat, you know, get inspected at the same caliber. But some wise individual was like, you don't want to end up at the bottom of a river, James. <laughs> so you need to stop this right now. It wasn't a threat. It was just somebody who was just like, there are so many people. Meat markets, there's so many things going on that you may not want to bark up this tree right now. And I was about to go on like KXAN, like they were going to come do like a video of me in front of Longhorn and like talk about this huge problem in public health. It's a problem in public health. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh man, like I don't know if I want to get assassinated over this because it's (laughs) a lot of money involved. Uh Those
0: HEB guys, not just (laughs) HEBs,
2: there's a lot of other meat markets. That, you know, oh, are they selling wholesale? No, we don't sell in wholesale. Well, what's that guy loading up 300 pounds of stew in the back of his pickup truck right now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's like sub-distributors that just go pick up meat for food trailers and just go and drop it off. The meat's fine. Yeah. It's totally fine. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to worry about, but they don't have to go through the same level of inspection Mm -hmm. that we do. If there's rust on our door hinge, the state's like— you got to fix this now. Hmm. So we get we get beat up on and our costs, our maintenance and all this stuff just yeah. climbs up high. But we're having to do that stuff when like maybe even a company like HEB is not even having to do that. That's, it's a, it's the same unfair.
1: for like uh, coffee shops or restaurants versus food trucks. <laughs> like the the level that that restaurants have to go through for inspection and health is so much greater than a food truck. So like I think a food truck only has to go in once a year to be inspected. Yes. Hmm. You know, and and totally. every restaurant has to put. Like, so, as a coffee shop, up until about three years ago, we didn't have to put a grease trap in because we produced no grease. Yeah. And then they just changed that, so now we have to have a grease trap. So, like, really? you know, yeah, it's 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 completely re- ridiculous. But <laughs> <laughs> careful, it's 2023, Milo. <laughs> I, uh, I still... They
2: called that the city used to call that the Starbucks model. If, if you're mm-hmm. doing the Starbucks model, mm-hmm. you don't need a grease trap. When I opened Morzobit.
1: But they've changed that though. I mean, yeah. So you're
2: saying now, no matter what, mm-hmm. you have to have a grease trap. Yeah. You know why? Because they say, oh, you're selling a pl- it's a plastic fork with your cream cheese throwaway. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Some asshole is going to put that in the sink, and you're going to have cream cheese in your sink. Mm-hmm. So that they have a zero policy now on it, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they call they call our beer the health department. We have to have a food permit. We mm-hmm. don't sell food, but we have, they call beer liquid bread.
4: <laughs> so we have to have a lot of That's beautiful. I, I, yeah, liquid, liquid bread. For that. <laughs> Sudden so, death liquid
0: bread.
2: Yep. So now I'm just like, oh, I'm just drinking a bunch of bread. <laughs> it's just a bunch of yeast.
0: Uh-huh. I mean, beer originally was used as like the uh, IPA beer, India Pale Ale, mm-hmm. was used as a source of nutrients and sustenance for British sailors going around Cape Horn to get to India. Because mm. the, the trip was so long that none of their other beer would last long enough to give them nourishment on the trip. So they. Brewed IPAs,
2: it had all the all the vitamins mm-hmm. and calories and calories. Yeah, yeah. To, to last that, and I mean, even going further back, just drinking beer was just it, beer back a long time ago, hundreds of years ago, and beyond was one per, half a percent to two and a half percent, something like that, ABV. Mm-hmm. So not was, like
0: the. 7.6 percenters yeah. that we have these So days.
2: when people say, oh, beer, we drank it because it was better than water, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was. But now it's like, no, it's like, even, yeah. e- even if you compare dirty water to a 7% beer, it's like, drink the dirty water <laughs> for your hydration, because that beer yeah. is gonna gonna mess you up. But even things like whiskey, I mean, they're pretty pretty new in the ABV spectrum. Mm-hmm. I think we're gonna evolve into these, like, distilled consumers I want
0: I want people to start offering me lower ABV options on almost everything. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So because you, like I love IPAs, but I've stopped drinking them because they're just too high in alcohol content. Yeah. And if I have a couple, two or three IPAs, I feel like shit. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. You're, Back hurts. You wake up and you feel like shit. <laughs> wait, the next wait, day. Uh,
1: guys. How, how old are we now? Is yeah, this, right. Yeah. <laughs> we might be uh, putting our <laughs> no, uh, but I think
0: there's a, certainly a market for it. I mean, this mm-hmm. the mocktail market is starting to come out. Mm-hmm. Like people are actually taking that seriously. Man, so that's
1: weird to me. honestly. Give me. But, that's weird. Yeah.
0: The the better thing would be like, why don't you give me some like super great tasting beers that are three four percent? Why don't you yeah. give me a whiskey mm-hmm. that you know isn't whatever forty percent or well.
2: Uh, Guinness just came out with Guinness zero, I think is what it's called. And it, people are saying it's like, they can't tell that it's not a normal Guinness. Mm. But
0: it's 0% alcohol.
2: 0.5. So I want,
0: Guinness is actually perfect. Guinness this is, is perfect. like 3%.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, so, well, just drink Guinness. It's a great Real, session beer for sure. It is. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it it's very rich many and many malty. It's like <laughs> uh-huh. Guinness, I would not call a session beer. Oh, as I, far as session what like a session ale mm-hmm. anyway Guinness is like it's. there's a storm outside that's when I think of Guinness like <laughs> there's a blizzard and let's hunker down for the night and yeah, we can't hunt a rabbit so let's get our calories in with a Guinness <laughs> yeah
0: right <laughs> but you can also drink a lot of them that's nice yeah yeah,
2: totally And Real, thing, but just I'm sorry just yeah, to, go ahead. Just to agree, I agree with you because I like the social aspect I mean, even wine imagine a nice wine that was a low ABV it's like 14, yeah. 14% for a wine I want to be able to sit back and have these beverages and
0: cause totally wine's a great a great opportunity because i want to have wine in it with good food mm-hmm. and if i'm having good food i want to be there for like three hours <laughs> yeah totally yeah. and i'm gonna have probably well what i would like is to have wine the whole time which is going to mean like four or five glasses of wine yep so if you give me a low abv wine i can do that
2: well, uh, if you want to come to Red Ash in two weeks, you can have an IAB, a high ABV wine and eat bolognese with us. Because yes, that's yes. happening. <laughs> um, it's like when I think about there's a huge trend on. I say Twitter, but it's like in the founder movement right now. I'm seeing this a lot, and I'm not like super duper deep in the startup world because I've been a lone wolf for most of my career, but on Twitter over the past year there's a huge movement in founders not drinking Mm -hmm. and it's people are saying like the the, uh vcs are are tweeting saying hey to my fellow vcs are you investing in founders that have not stopped drinking yet
1: oh interesting like
2: i'm actually seeing prominent venture capitalists asking that question Mm -hmm. and then you read the you read the thread and people are like um this is ridiculous. And some people are like, oh yeah, I've given it up. And there's this trend of like, if you're gonna be invested in, mm-hmm. like if someone's gonna give me James two million dollars, they might perceive that alcohol could get in the way.
1: Oh, interesting. Of
2: there's like socializing or some metric, something happened at some point, I have no mm-hmm. idea, that made this movement come up. I rented my bar out during South by Southwest, and uh the the host who Invited tons of people with this tech business meetup event that they were throwing. Uh, it was like, "Well, what's the the fee to rent the venue?" And I was like, "Well, it's just a minimum bar tab." And he was like, "No, I need to pay a fee because the kind of people that are showing up to this they're not they probably don't drink. Huh. Hey, we're not going to meet your That's minimum bar tab." That's definitely
0: new because I that is very new. Yeah. Years ago, almost all the founders I knew. Oh, yeah. Heavy drinkers. Oh,
2: totally. And that's probably why there's a new trend going on here. <laughs> yeah. and, and I saw this thing the other day and somebody was like, hey, have, you know that thing, Have you invest, are you investing in companies of founders that aren't drinking? And I literally wrote back and I was like, look, oh, the question was, if the founder has not quit their day job yet, would you invest in them? Well, number one question. And number two is, would you invest in them if they still drink? I wrote back just to be funny and playful because that's where I'm at. I was just like, <laughs> Um well my startups are always my day job but uh bolognese and red wine like it's it's never going away and you know that was my response. And every, you know you all these people start liking it and it's just kind of like there's no harm in a fucking glass of red wine like yeah. why is everyone targeting these found- but then you you realize that these people are getting funded that are younger and different than Maybe what's going well, and on. When everything goes in
0: cycles, the pendulum yeah. always swings.
1: I wonder if there's like this, like there's a lot of performance stuff uh, right now, whether you're talking about, you know, cold plunges and, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. fasting and diets and all this kind of stuff. And how do you optimize your, and so I could see, you know, I, I'd be curious too, if, if that, if that was posed is it any sort of, is it weed? Is it? Alcohol, or you know, what, yeah. what what are they including in in that same sort of category, or is it just a fad of like?
0: Well, speaking about performance fads, I was mm-hmm. gonna ask, it reminds me of something I wanted to ask you about your meat market, mm. which is can you get me beef suet? Oh,
2: yeah, totally. We have beef suet.
0: Boy, what's that?
2: It's a type of beef fat above the kidney, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. you were telling and about that. You cook that. it down Maybe. into tallow, yeah. Talo, so, I've yeah. done this once, I got it from uh, I don't remember the name of the farm here, um, cooked it down. Ended up with I don't know some maybe, rendered yeah yeah maybe three or four jars yeah some of it I turned into lotion which I'm mm-hmm. using on my like face and hands and then I've been cooking with the rest of it yeah and it's been awesome yeah and apparently it's way better for you than any other
2: don't quote me on this oils. price but I'm pretty sure I can give you the dollar a pound hookup on that nice because that's I think what. I shouldn't say this. <laughs> Customers, I'm sorry, going to pay $2.99 a pound for it. Um, but yeah, no, beef suet is people all the time are like, I have to have beef suet for this recipe. It's like, it calls yeah. for it. It's some French recipe or something. And they're like, it has to be. I'm like, w-. and at the time I was like, well, I don't have beef suet, but I got this beef fat from these other things. Like, it has to be beef suet. And then I was like, this is when I first took over the company and then got more educated. And I was like, okay, now I get it. Mm-hmm. And so now we carry beef suet. Beef suet. Yeah.
0: Yes, yeah, so have either of you listened to, there's a Revisionist History episode, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast talking about, uh, what's the title of it? The When McDonald's Broke My Heart or something. Mm-hmm. So apparently, McDonald's and almost every other food chain used to fry everything in tallow, in beef tallow.
2: Mm. Oh, wow.
0: And then there was a single guy, I don't remember his name, who became convinced that he had like a heart attack and started like doing his own research on what made him have a heart attack. And he started becoming convinced that frying things in animal fats is what made him sick. And he launched it because he was super wealthy. So he launched a campaign and single handedly got McDonald's to stop frying stuff in tallow. And then the whole fast food industry this is like policy. in the early nineties. Well, they, they had to experiment for years and years to figure out what you could alternatively fry stuff in. Cause it just didn't work. Mm. So they were trying different formulas of stuff, and apparently, like they would stumble upon like formulas of oil that, at the end of the day, if employees like piled their aprons on the ground, they would like spontaneously combust. Oh goodness! So like, this Jesus. it's a fascinating episode. Uh-huh. Um, but stuff tastes way better mm. fried in tallow. Oh and, yeah! And I just use it like instead of olive oil in my pan if I'm mm-hmm. cooking something, just a little dollop of because uh, yeah. it, it looks like once you render it into tallow, it looks like. Like almost like soap. Yeah, it looks just like soap. We're we, at
2: our south location. We have a thousand gallon smoker so that customers can buy pre-smoked briskets, pork loins, all mm. those kinds of things. And we collect the tallow and we sell it in little quart jars mm. for people to buy just tallow to take yeah. home and just slap on. tallow with scrambled eggs and potatoes and like totally dude sounds like that guy made. McDonald's go from what could have been a middle, mid-grade quality establishment totally. to a shit fast mm-hmm. food place. Yeah. The keto people right now would be like, I will go get a Big Mac smothered in tallow, no bun. <laughs> they would. Because it would represent mm-hmm. that kind well, of I mean, I,
0: But also, like on Twitter, tallow's like a thing that's a, kind of popping off right now. People mm. okay. are talking about how good it is for you and all the different things you can do with it. Which is actually why I ended up buying some tallow, or some suet. I, Making your own and I wanted to make my own. So I bought suet. I think I got like five pounds of it and then just put it in a big pot for like five hours. I want to be the person who
2: sells already rendered tallow yeah. uh, at a great price in Austin, but it's you can only do what you produce through smoking other product unless you trim your stuff, take the fat, and then get a commercial. And render sm- it. And if we get a commercial smoker, which is a whole other thing that the state has to inspect that every day, hmm. Then you can sell sausage and things like that to other stores, like all the beef jerky and st- junk that you see at even a gas station. All that stuff's made in a in a USDA inspected facility, mm. which I want to become. Mm. Is that a oh or a? <laughs> a mm,
4: mm, it all sounds
2: <laughs> so good. Yeah. No, I put butter and fat on everything. Mm-hmm. Like my wife's, you know, recovering vegetarian um but i put butter and fat on everything and my kids eating asparagus and it's got beef fat and butter smothered all in it and it's like there you go man
1: so kind of just jumped to another another spot here is, yeah. is why do you keep doing more businesses like what is it what is it that 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 i don't know if i want to answer that question yeah <laughs> you don't um, have to the the
2: the thing is is there's a you have this too and i'm not trying to call you out on it so <laughs> You could go like this, and I'll stop talking about it. No, that's all good. I believe that your entrepreneurial life cycle is like longer than mine hmm. when it comes to project iterations. Yeah, and I think you're like five years past yours. Mm-hmm. But your patience is so <laughs> so so profound uh-huh. that you've been able to extend it to this point, and then hopefully there's a new you know
1: hmm.
2: iteration to that. Yeah. Um mine is heavily in a three to five year cycle Mm -hmm. and I just don't I I, some people when I was younger would say oh you're not focusing enough on just one thing Mm -hmm. and I really had like a shame phase of entrepreneur I was like I didn't even like calling myself I don't even I still don't like calling myself an entrepreneur that word was thrown around back when it meant you were broken pathetic (laughs) and now people are like oh I'm an entrepreneur and I'm like am I Am I an entrepreneur? Am I broken, <laughs> yeah. pathetic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's, like, it's just like people are saying that word now, and I was like, I, I avoided that word because it meant you had nothing mm-hmm. at, at one point.
0: Well, I feel like that word is being replaced by founder recently.
2: Founder, totally. I, I just hmm. start the things because I am terrible at running companies. Hmm. Just to say that out loud, starting them, getting the team in place, Giving the St Crispin's Day speech for like this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it. That's my jam. You know, one, two, three years in, it has to have an operator
4: mm-hmm.
2: because I can't do I don't do that job well.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: i I can come in and be that that morale boost, but I just I just I lack something that it's not, I'm not proud of it, but I just don't have the operator in mm-hmm. me. And there's so many people who are so good at operating uh that i but that doesn't answer your question. My main thing is is just every three to five years I'm just bored to death. That's pretty yeah. much what what happens mm-hmm. and I want to get into a are po- you actually bored? I'm bored with the the look the thing is, is right now, say with Longhorn, just gonna say it out loud <laughs> um it grows to a certain point where I form a board. I have to form a proper board because I've raised millions of dollars of capital. There's people who put in a ton of money. They want a seat at the table. And then we start disagreeing on things. Mm-hmm. And the moment we start disagreeing on things,
0: that's like, when you went out.
2: That's when I have to leave because um, I, I can slowly take a position of, all right, I'm going to be involved in product management. Like right now, what we're doing is uh, so H E B. I sent H E B a sample of our barbecue rub that my great uncle, I think, stole from some guy at like the World Fair. And like, <laughs> like I, my great, my second cousin who's like sixty something said, "Oh yeah, my dad stole that recipe from somebody." Mm-hmm. Just like a wonderful story. It's like, oh, I thought he invented it. It's like, yeah, I think he stole it like a hundred years ago. So, so like, we sent this to H E B. H E B is like, this is a great barbecue rub. Mm. Uh, we'll put it in all 350 stores, but you have to have three skews. We can't just put one SKU of a barbecue rub. So, like, so, like, all right, let's put some lemon zest in it. So, like, I love spearheading those projects at this mm-hmm. point in the company, mm-hmm. but running the day to day can be exhausting. Um, but when the board is there and the board is like, well, why are you doing these ads and why are you doing that ad? And I'm like, well, because they're 10 cents a click and we're making money on them. It's like, well, when people start pushing in a domain that they don't have experience in or expertise in it really starts messing with like the the energy and the bandwidth and everything else in the middle so that's when i start feeling like okay so now i have to start filtering my my whole model for myself being involved in the company and once i'm having to start submitting proposals for my own company Mm. about how we're going to spend our money how fast we can move i start to be more of a hindrance than anything else Mm. Because I'm saying, well, I don't agree with left. I said let's go right, and they're like, well, I, we don't want to go right. Let's talk about it longer. And I'm like, but right is the right way to go. <laughs> and
0: they're like, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to do it. They're, yeah. They're like, but
2: did you send a budget on going right? And I'm like, oh god. Like that. That. That's straight up. It's just I don't have the patience from an operator mentality. Yeah. To. Mm-hmm. To. To do that. And they deserve. They deserve partners that are going to build systematically. Mm. The business is at a point where it needs to build systematically it doesn't need some lunatic that's just like trying to go 100 miles an hour in one way or the other so I'm better suited for other brands or businesses that want to go fast hard there is a
0: necessary progression in the growth of a business where it has to slow down it has to become more bureaucratic it has to become more risk averse
2: oh yeah 25-40 people after that I have to leave. Once well, there's like 40 people, I want to, I used to be in denial and be almost ashamed of saying like, I should not be in charge of a company of 40 more mm. people. But then I realize there's the right CEO at the right time mm-hmm. and I know exactly where I fit. Mm. Exactly. Like, but But to the opposite of that, I believe, I haven't had this opportunity yet, but I do believe, say like 10 or 15 years from now, I would be a great wartime mm. CEO of a big company. There's a huge company that's like, we're fucked. We got like mm-hmm. a year left of money. We got $100 million left in the bank and 5,000 employees. I think my same personality type with a company like that yeah.
1: that's who would, you're saying. would
2: would do well,
0: but nothing in the middle. Like Richard mm-hmm. Gere and Pretty Woman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think he acquired
0: them. He acquired them yeah. and fixed them and then <laughs> split them up and broke
1: them. I think so.
2: Um, sold, sold them off for pieces. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, I've been thinking about a redheaded, curly (laughs) prostitute. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Wait,
0: I want to rewind to something you said about feeling um, guilt. Yeah, here's something I related to, and I I can't because I can't remember exactly how you said it, but like feeling guilt that you don't have just sort of this one thing that you're into. Yeah, you got your hands into a bunch of different stuff.
2: Six and a half. Six and a half. (laughs) I'm just making up a number. Different stuff.
0: Yeah so i've been that way too and there's this wonderful um so like i'm a musician i'm a writer i'm an entrepreneur i'm a father i'm now you know was working for a startup before that i was in sort of like big top four consultancy space before that i was running five different llc's at one time like i've done a ton of stuff sounds like you and i should work together yeah right (laughs) (laughs) um and the musician part of me, Tom Petty is one of my favorite musicians. Totally. In, uh, I think 2006, there was this four hour documentary that came out about Tom Petty and the heartbreakers and basically covered their lives from like day one till 2006. It's called running down a dream. It's fantastic. Made by Peter Bogdanovich. It's really incredible storytelling. Uh, also a really incredible story, but, so Tom's guitar player, Mike Campbell, at some point in the movie says, you know, I'm just so glad this worked out because it's all any of us know how to do. Wow. And he's like, if, if we hadn't become famous, essentially, we would just be poor musicians. And I experienced a deep sense of jealousy from Mike Campbell. Like, I wish that I had one thing that I could do And I could just go all in on it. And Mm -hmm. I woke up every day knowing what I was going to do. But instead, and earlier I wanted to ask you if you considered yourself a generalist. Because I wake up most days thinking, well, I want to work in all of these different genres of life. Whether it's um, music, philosophy, uh, carpentry, tech business. Yeah. crypto, whatever. It's like, and I kind of like to spend my time going back and forth between all of these different things because I find them massively fascinating and I'm actually pretty good at almost all of it, mm-hmm. which I think is more of a curse than a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish I was Mike Campbell. Mm.
2: Tell me again what Mike Campbell's main skill set Le- is. Lead guitar player. So Mike Campbell played impeccable guitar. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he just focused on that one thing and became famous for it. Yeah. So everything you said resonates with me. It seems like the difference is Mike Campbell's a musician. He probably could have been a great teacher. He could have done other things in the realm of being a great guitar player. And not to take the term generalist... And try to spread it out amongst, amongst a professional guitar player. But I view myself as a generalist, yes. But there are – but it's it's a skill set. There's specificity to it that gets just distributed. And I do wake up knowing that I'm working on one thing very, very specifically and very focused. And that is – companies like i know that sounds broad and it doesn't actually hone it down into just being a badass guitar Mm, player
0: that's your thing but my
2: my thing is biz business development business startup so like i do wake up every day with this is who i am this is what i do and this is all i'm doing Mm -hmm. it just so happens to be term sheets and hiring people and packaging deals and it's if i If I may, I could say, like, he has to wake up and say, well, how do I compose this stuff? How do I communicate with my drummer? How do I communicate with the bass player? And how do I build an ensemble? Because he's a phenomenal musician, I'm trying to find some correlation between, like, I'm an entrepreneur and I have to find how I'm conducting the same orchestra in the same light. Yeah. I wake up every day and I know fucking what I'm doing every day and I'm so stoked and I want to be able to build what you said made me jealous Because I want to be able to have a team that's like, thank God we worked on that project for five years because that was the best thing we ever did or 10 years or 20 years. I want to have a staff that makes the thousand lattes with hearts on them um, (laughs) impeccably every day. And that's that's what I strive for. I strive for just people that are around me to – I used to be more ruthless and like show up, do good work. And if you're not going to do good work, then you don't belong here. Like I used to have that vibe. But now I'm like – yeah, man, you have a kid. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, leave. Go do this. Go do that. Like, mm-hmm. You're you're gonna do good work when you can do good work. But sometimes you can't do good work because you got other shit you got to deal with. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get into. I'm trying to open my heart up like that and let let capitalism penetrate my soul <laughs> in like a empathetic way. That's Quite a way to put that. <laughs> I'm just making it up right now. But yeah, so like hearing what you said, it it it. I mean, it resonated with me because I was like, oh, like I kind of the guilt and shame that I was experiencing was am I not doing one thing? And then I realize, well, I am doing one thing. It's just I'm really dialing in on my skill set. It's a matter of definition.
1: Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing with, you know, you see this in the sciences and, you know, these people people who are specializing in smaller and smaller areas, even though within those areas there's a diverse, a diverse aspect to those small areas. But when I think of a generalist as somebody who's able to kind of look at a lot of those specificities and kind of put yeah. them together. And that's, I think that's, I think a, an entrepreneur by definition is a generalist, you know, because if it's, I don't, I wouldn't consider an entrepreneur someone who owns a company like that's, Mm-mm. that's not an entrepreneur. So someone, so I, th- I think that's what it's almost required from an entrepreneur is to be able to be able to think cross genres or yeah. cross, you know, uh, you you almost have to be a generalist in a yeah. sense.
2: Yeah, I've met people before that said, I used to be an entrepreneur hmm. until I worked for my company for 15 years. Hmm. Like, oh, well, I can say, you know, we have a mutual friend who's like, I started a company and uh, I was an entrepreneur and then it grew and grew and grew and I got the golden handcuffs, I never quit. Mm-hmm. And I stopped identifying as an entrepreneur hmm. as soon as I knew I was never leaving. Right. Because <clears throat> I started something and like... You 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 can be an entrepreneur and then not be. Yeah. Later on, you're not if you're not entrepreneurial, you might go into like investing on a annual basis mm-hmm. on a startup or two. But like, you know, you might become super risk adverse because you're like, oh shit, I got money. I'm not fucking risking any of this. <laughs> I risk I'm used to not
1: having any money. All my money, yeah. which
2: is terrifying to my wife I'm just like hey this is a great idea like we got this little nest egg over here but all of this is going into this other shit and she's mm-hmm. like she's not religious but she's oh my god <laughs> because anyway I just start these things and mm. I'm like it's for the it's for the family sweetie
1: it's for the family, <laughs>
2: for the family. Um, but yeah anyway I, I think that you can it's a personality type like mm. like that's, that's, that's where I said like I don't belong at a company bigger than 40 people because I don't belong. I literally don't don't belong in a company that's like, cool, we got our core shit here. I can be on the board and be all that,
4: mm-hmm. you know,
2: hurrah and keep being exciting about how how we're building things, but I can't be in I can't be in charge just because I'm not the I'm not gonna be the first person to show up and the last person to leave anymore at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I can't manifest excitement when this is a this is a direct example. At Longhorn, new board, a lot of money. Millions of dollars gets gets in injected. And I say, well, I want to do this. Uh, I want to sell off 25% of the of, a, of, a, of a, our barbecue rub. So I want to separate the barbecue rub into Longhorn uh, BBR, a new entity subsidiary that's wholly owned by our parent company. And I want to do a massive crowdfunding campaign across – austin and surrounding cities because we have a huge name here i want to treat it as a marketing play and all these things and i'm like i put this whole plan together there's all this stuff i meet with the biz dev director of WeFunder. we have multiple meetings we're like working on this whole plan and i put it all together i go and pitch it to at the time i didn't have the board but i took i brought in the capital in between all this Mm. so the board's there i'm like here's what i've been working on for the past 90 days and they're like the board's like we're not doing this and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I, at that moment, that that's when you say, oh, my God, this is the most exciting thing I've been working on for the past 90 days. And I just <laughs> had people vote me down that I invited into this. Right, to I the, brought you here. Yes. And they're just like, and they're phenomenal people. I mean, they sold aerospace companies and just huge, huge, vastly more successful than I've ever been people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like, all right y'all are I brought you in for this fucking reason (laughs) so you could guide help guide this ship but then I realized I have to drastically step Mm -hmm. away drastically so now it's like now I'm like helping from like a CMO standpoint just like marketing and advertising Mm -hmm. getting the new the new uh, director in place that's kind of running the ship and just really just phasing myself out Mm -hmm. because at some point there's just gonna be quarterly board meetings and that's all I can really do Mm -hmm to just give my vote on the matter. Mm-hmm. that's how it goes. And then I just, you know, start my new thing and go on from there. And then I'm already look I'm already talking to people that I want to replace me mm-hmm. as as the leader of Crowdstake or DeFi films. Yeah. There's already people I'm talking to that I'm like, I want you to take my job in mm-hmm. the next eighteen months. Yeah. Cause it ain't gonna it's not gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I
0: mean it seems like there's Something so necessary about that life cycle, though. Like, whether it's a business or you raise your kids, you know, when your kids are young, you're the executive. You're, yeah. You're making all the decisions. Just a little bit. That's good. Um, Thank you. But then as they get older, you're just kind of the board. You're, oh. you're, you're, you. What
2: age does that happen at? <laughs> 12? <laughs> When the piano argument it d- starts, yeah, it
0: depends on the depends on the kid, depends on the parent. Um, but actually, I think there's something really good about that. It's like I was reflecting. My son turned 17 last week, wow. and I was reflecting on this um, this idea of letting go. Mm. And there's something so painful about letting go, but also something so amazing about it. It's like, ideally. I want to let you go because I want you to be the best, most thriving version of yourself that you can possibly be. And that's somebody that checks in with me sometimes, mm. that doesn't need me because you're kicking ass doing whatever you're doing. They you know?
2: need you for different reasons at that yeah, point. Yeah,
0: but that's kind of like your your point about the board. It's like, well, the board checks in every quarter, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Uh, ideally, you talk to your kids more frequently <laughs> throughout their life, but uh-huh. yeah, um, I talk to my dad
2: every damn day, practically. Yeah, but it's like, hey, you got some weird thing in the mail. Well, did it rain at the ranch? Like shit, like that, right? And you just kind of have a little pulse on things. I think
0: what I'm trying to say is that as things mature, you want them to stand on their own and need you less. Mm. Whether that's a kid. Or business. Yep. It's also the same with art, actually. I'm, I'm um, strongly convinced that as an artist, you have to let go of your art.
2: Hmm.
0: And you have to go let it be whatever it's going to be to the people it ends up having relationships with. Mm-hmm. And if you can't let that go and you impose, for example, some sort of interpretation or some sort of backstory or this is what this means and this is how this feels, you're not letting go. Yeah, You don't know that song. You don't know that that uh, piece of uh, that painting I uh, I guess a couple of years ago started really intentionally buying original pieces of art that I liked so I have some paintings in my house that are original paintings the person that painted that is never gonna see it again
3: yeah never. it's just mine now yeah
0: you know unless I happen to try to befriend them and they come over to my house yeah, it's yeah. like now that's just me and that painting that's yeah. our relationship it had wow. to be let go the person who spent the hours it's with it's not the, 1
2: in 10 1 in 50 it's this is the only one
0: yeah it's the it's the only one wow um so anything that you care for if you want it to mature you have to let it go
2: yeah i'm i'm i've come to that reckoning of <clears throat> i'm good at x and i need to pass it off to people that are going to take care of it in a different way mm mm-hmm. mhm and I heard a story from a friend of mine who works for a startup that has, the founder is still the CEO after 15 years mm-hmm. and they're now trying to unionize against this company, all the oh, employees, well. because they're like, dude, you're just you're treating this like it's a startup from 15 years ago mm-hmm. and you've got 300 people that work here now and you don't belong here anymore and he's he's somehow managed to raise all this money, and not have any any board veto anything, which is a knock on you know good for him nope, kind kid. of thing, <laughs> but 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 detrimental. So now he's being ganged up on, and mm. he just needs to leave the company. Yeah, just just walk away, dude. You got your ownership. Be on the board. Form a board. But I'm seeing how like people can hold on because it's the one thing that they have mm. close to their chest. Yeah. Like I believe in the saying of that it takes a village, it takes a community, a tribe to raise children. And I think of my businesses like that is what I'm what I've come to realize. I want to hand them off to multiple people that are gonna help nourish and take care of them. I don't hold them close to my chest. It's like, hey, we did our thing. I did my thing. I gave I can't and here you go. You, you mm. take it now.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: If you need me to go fetch a pail of water and get some firewood, I'll <laughs> go do that. But yeah. you, you got to nurse this for a while
4: mm-hmm.
2: and just pass it around to my people. So it's about the right the right person at the right time. And I I've pinpointed exactly what my strengths are. Finally, mm-hmm. after losing a lot of people's money <laughs> and my own, a lot of my own, and a lot of time, I I feel like I finally know where I belong in the spectrum it's mm-hmm. either at the very very beginning up into the point where it's uh two million dollars in revenue and then I'm like all right tight and then I or I, and then I can skip the gap until it's something bigger that needs drastic turnaround mm-hmm. but anything in the middle that's just like we're aiming for ten percent a year growth it's just like I don't really belong yeah, in, that, in, that that, that makes in that sense in that infrastructure anymore <clears throat> anymore
0: not an operations guy. Mm-mm.
2: Definitely not. In fact, the business will fail. Don't hire me if you're trying to find out the business will go under (laughs) if you're looking for an operations guy.
0: Um, Let's do one more quick topic and then wrap this one up. Uh, I'm curious from the both of you because you're both uh, more sort of pulse, finger to the pulse of this city. How do you see this city evolving over the next decade? We've changed a lot in ways that I didn't foresee over the last decade. Where do you think we're going
2: Go
1: for it, buddy. Yeah, you, you you pick up the slack on it. <laughs> um, I'm so I'm I'm kind of of the camp. I've loved Austin in all its uh, iterations. So I, I I moved here in '96, and you know, sort of the cliche is, oh, it was it's it's not as good as it was in X, 2006, 2012. <laughs> it's like whenever you moved here, everyone's always. But I think Austin has been amazing. In the 30 almost 30 years that I've been here and just seeing a, a, a city grow and through the pains and all that kind of stuff. So, so I'm super excited about where Austin is going. I think it might out, it might outgrow me, honestly. I think in the next 10 years, uh, I don't know that for sure, but uh, for me, there's no other place in the world that I'd want to live besides Austin. I, I want to go visit other places, but live here. Um, so what about uh, dripping springs? Dripping springs. I think <laughs> I think I <I'd> go there. <laughs> well, I think I could see I could see for me personally like moving more into the the hill country and that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. still, Austin it, is home base. Austin is home yeah. base and, and my first love. <laughs> uh, I, I'm super excited about all the things moving to Austin. I think one one conversation uh, I had with uh, a friend of ours uh, many years ago and just how amazing our city is because we have the capital we have ut and all these thriving businesses here and one comment he made was that yes but you don't have the headquarters here because you know and during tough times the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to take their offices out of austin And bring it back to wherever their headquarters are.
0: That's not true anymore.
1: Exactly. Well, that's that's the thing. This was like you know nine or ten years ago. Gotcha. And so today, what I'm seeing right now is all these headquarters bring moving to Austin. Mm -hmm. And so there's a real stability that's that we already kind of had being the seat of the government, UT and St. Edwards, and there was already a stability that we kind of got through 2008 financial crisis (laughs) with almost no, you know, no harm done to our Economy for the most part, you know, you know. Obviously, it depends on who you talk to and stuff like that. But just generally speaking, so I, I see a real, uh, a real stability that we have. in also being in Austin, where you have this tension between left and right, it still has conservative and liberals together in one spot. And I think there's a healthy tension here, which is really good. Uh, where you know places like San Francisco don't have that healthy tension. It's it's all one way. Um. So in that respect I think I think Austin has a really bright future. I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains and there's things that we should have done that we haven't been doing like just you know infrastructure wise and um you know roadways and and how we how we kind of get around in the city but um I think we've done a lot of things right and that's why people are moving here. I think also living in Texas is a huge benefit for us as far as being pro business uh somewhat more libertarian in, in in a certain degree is sort of hey we're going to stay out of your out of your business and let you do what you want to do. Uh, I think that's I think there's a healthy aspect to that. So just seeing all these sort of I think Austin just encapsulates like really great sort of tension that's healthy and I hope it stays that way. Like I hope it doesn't get too left or too right or you know. Yeah. Reminds so, me of uh <clears throat> Oh shoot. Viktor Frankl
0: talking about how tension is required for mental health. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And there's good tension here.
1: Yeah.
2: Do you care to elaborate on... I want to learn more about that. Tension's required I'm, for good mental health?
0: Yeah, I'm trying to remember the quote exactly. He basically is responding to the idea that you should have, you should be tension-free. You should just be carefree in order to be mentally healthy. And he says, no, actually, you need to be at odds with who you could be. You need to like feel the potential of who you are and to be wrestling mm. with that. And that's a point of tension. That's a point of, of pushing and pulling. And that's where real mental health is because that's where life is.
2: I agree with that shit 100%. I wake up every day I'm like, you're fucking this up. <laughs> like, you got to do better, James. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to fucking do this. I mean,
0: like- but his point is isn't necessarily a negative one it sometimes could be like you're fucking it up, but sometimes it's kind of like, no, I'm I'm doing something good and I'm doing a good job. But part of that job means I'm pushing this boulder up a hill. Totally, I'm in tension with this boulder. <clears throat> yeah, you
1: know,
2: one hundred percent. That's I mean, also and just the whole idea
1: of like you know cold plunges, working out is like you're putting your body in tension and, <laughs> so, oh, and yeah, stress, yeah, yeah. Totally. and it's like the, yeah, there's, there's something that, healthy about. Totally, being in that space. That Seneca quote:
0: understood. "the the body should be treated rigorously, that it be obedient to the mind." Mm, yeah, you're putting yourself in a point of tension yeah. to basically say, "I control myself," yeah. and to prove that, mm-hmm.
2: I can do X. I'm
0: I can do X. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I like this morning. I was like dr- going to go drop off my kid at preschool, and then I looked in the mirror for the thank God, and I had like showered last night, but I didn't comb my hair. So I had like a f- afro th- mullet thing going on, and I was like, "Oh God, I gotta fix this." So I like turned on the shower real quick and put my head under the shower to get my hair wet, and I was like, "Oh, like it was freezing cold," and I just hadn't done a cold thing in a while, and it was just it just zapped me. Hmm. And I was like, "Oh God!" And my two year old, my two and a half year old was standing there looking at me, just standing I mean and he's just like. It's called. It's called uh, touching it. But um, anyway, so to conclude on like the Austin thing, mm-hmm. when I was in, back to my like very flexible upbringing, I would sneak out. And then when I lived with my grandfather, I didn't have to sneak out. I, technically, it's sneaking out. I would just leave. <laughs> yeah. But I knew I had no consequence. Uh-huh. I would go downtown Austin. Zero exaggeration here. Skateboarding downtown Austin, mm-hmm. Texas, in the middle of the night. And my friends and I who was skateboarding would yell car every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then we would hide behind a wall. And that was, it was deserted mm-hmm. downtown Austin, Texas.
0: Because this is like what, 20 years ago?
2: Oh, yeah. 2021. 20, yeah, I was probably. Fourteen. I'm 36 now. Yeah. So yeah. I can
0: imagine downtown Austin at that time would be deserted. deserted at night. There was there mm-hmm. was
2: zero condos downtown at the time as well. Yeah. Right. Second Congress
1: was People just warehouses. <laughs> it was
2: it was businesses closed. Mm-hmm. No one lived down there. So if you were driving downtown, yeah. you're up to some shit. Mm-hmm. There's and prostitutes too at the
1: time. One hundred percent. So,
2: Sixth uh, Street West. I'm sorry, East of the Driscoll mm-hmm. is when it got rowdy Mm -hmm. so all that's where the bars were that's Mm -hmm. where the bars were in the the clubs when my dad was a kid he was he was 15 and if he ever got caught going east of the driscoll he got in trouble Hmm. like because that was the the there was winos back then like next to mortuary used to be a where where uh, la traviata is now or was Mm -hmm. was the first belgian beer bar in the country it was called um, gambrinus or um, mm-hmm. y- Gambrinus. Gambrinus. D- winos on the street. But when I was downtown as a kid, I would just skateboard and be like, oh, car. And then we'd skateboard for 10, 10 minutes and then be like, oh, car. And then we'd hide again. It was deserted. Mm-hmm. So Austin, when I was born, had like 300 and something thousand people in it mm-hmm. in 1986, just to say <laughs> that I love it. Uh, but it's changed so rapidly that I'm pro-growth. Mm-hmm. I'm pro-everything. Well, right? I was
1: 10 when I moved here. When, you were 10 when I moved here.
2: <laughs> I was 10. Y- I was ten when you moved here. Uh-huh, How?
1: Yeah. How old are you? Forty-five. 45? Uh-huh.
2: Forty-five. Forty-five. Nine years older
1: than me. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. Okay. So you were nineteen. Uh huh. Oh wow. Interesting. <laughs> so you're like, oh, Austin.
1: Well, eighteen yeah. Eighteen. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I, you're no, going. no. It's good. Go.
2: It's just like Austin is. Uh, Austin is great, and people say it's like something's in the water and all this fun stuff, but it's it's really not about that anymore. It's like there's there's boom. But I think Austin is in a crisis right now Hmm. where if it – I think it's in actually a terrible crisis with the restaurant, retail, coffee Hmm. shop community and all that because landlords are acting as if they are landlords of property in future San Francisco. Oh, gotcha. Uh But consumers are not paying prices Mm -hmm. as if they are in future San Francisco. Mm mm-hmm my landlord downtown at my bar acts as if me paying him rent is him doing me a favor to let him let me pay him rent he acts as if he's just like well i'm doing you know i gave you this spot like he acts as if Mm -hmm. this thing and i'm like well dude your rent's too high man like you know how many businesses are out of business because of covid yeah there's the um, the occupancy rate has dropped by 20% of businesses down here like there's just not enough foot track foot traffic anymore mm-hmm. yeah. and he's straight up just like well you're the verbatim you're the one that wanted to be an entrepreneur <laughs> said that to me <laughs> and i'm just like you don't get he's never also uh, he also admitted he's never had a job <laughs> it's just like dude we're paying your fucking life man like uh-huh. like there's no there's no balance in the system mm. i have a feeling that the next ten years is going to be really brutal. Oh, interesting. I have a, I have a feeling. I'm kind
0: of, I'm kind of with you. On landlords
2: this. are going to be like, oh, we're Austin,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and businesses go, uh, we're not able to support anything that you're charging. I away.
1: think you make a good point.
2: And it's going to be a collapse of the retail industry. I think in Austin. Damn.
0: So I there's, think a you p- just, like, made there's a, really great point. there's a potential, and I have no solution for this, for the problem you just outlined. Um, but I, there's a potential with Austin because I'm also pro growth. I really like in 2012, I was about ready to abandon ship. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't like what's happening with Austin. All my favorite venues are going out of business. Uh, my and favorite restaurants are going out of business. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. But then something better replaced everything. And the, the bar got higher. And I really like that. I think mm-hmm. we've got some of the best food and bars and still some of the best live music in the country. Um, so I'm pro growth. It would be incredible. So one downside for me personally is that like I used to spend a lot more time going to farther reaching parts of the city. Hmm. Now, especially uh, post COVID, I want to be in my little area. Hmm. If I have to drive more than five minutes, I don't really want to (laughs) go. Luckily, I've got some great stuff in my little area. Also in my little area, there's tons of rundown, unused, underutilized buildings. Like And that's true all over Austin. Like Mm -hmm. even just driving here to this podcast studio tonight, I saw tons of buildings that are like, what is that? What is it doing? (laughs) That could be transformed Mm -hmm. into something that was a proponent of culture. It could be a restaurant. It could be a bar. It could be a brewery. It could be um, any number of things. The problem is exactly as you just defined it, which is if we're charging San Francisco prices for those things, then you have to charge the consumer that. And you aren't going to have artists coming around that area anymore. And you need those artists in order to plant the seeds of the culture that would bring thriving life to a, a community.
2: Yeah. Just to give you an example, this podcast studio, the rent is the same cost of the property taxes per month because, you know, kudos to the property owner here, but the rent is low because they haven't been as aggressive or predatory that they could have been. But because the city of Austin has deemed this area in 78723, just us give away where we are, <laughs> uh, as such value that the taxes are so high that literally it's 45% of the
0: cost here is right. is triple net. Which means that all the housing around here
2: is gouged.
0: Extremely and, and, and not going to get the <clears throat> sort of well, the artist class to uh, come no. hang around here.
2: No way. If the city of if somehow if somehow landlords in in commercial real estate could somehow empathetically band together for two years and the banks and all the infrastructure behind that, if you have a mortgage and all that, could band together and just drop drop the the entry point, the cost of entry for Business is so high. Like, you, you want to go into a new coffee shop location, and they're like, "We're not giving." Well, actually, you've got a great brand, so they're like, "Here's some, here's some uh, tenant improvement money and all yeah. that kind of stuff." But most people don't get that, and it's just like, "Oh, you got to spend three hundred thousand dollars, build this out, and you get a ten-year lease, and you got to make X number of dollars over ten years just to pay back."
1: Well, construction costs. Let, mm-hmm. let me push push against this because I I, push. I I agree and and sympathetic to kind of what you guys are saying, um, and I think that's the hardest thing with change. So there's a kind of a, a an idea that uh, a friend of mine played with is, you know, Austin is some place you can be and create, and there's a low barrier of entry, and that was really beautiful. But in order for you to become something, you had to go to L.A., San Francisco, or New York to kind of – to be on a bigger platform. You
2: mean as an individual?
1: Yeah, as an individual for whatever you're – like Like as far as an artist. I think – Austin is changing oh, into yeah. that space where people it's no longer that beginner entry it's platform it's, it's becoming a platform it's in the top four and the, and that's and I think that's the hard thing is like you know some we always there's trade offs LA, there's Trenton, trend, New York and Austin mm-hmm.
2: on VC Twitter mm-hmm. it's same groups you know even the big the big wigs they're saying which cities are your founders primarily living in mm-hmm. and it's Austin is three and four on, on their list yeah. now yeah. and it's like Back in the day, it was just like oh me 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 me, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like ah oh, you're not on the list, you know mm-hmm. you're not in Austin, and now I'm like oh I've been here the whole time, like what's up?
1: Well, I think that's the and so uh, that's the sort of sad thing and also the the hard thing is that now there's going to be other cities that are going to fill that role that Austin filled. <laughs> It's going to be Bastrop. It's going to be. It's going to be the triangle, Mm -hmm. dude. In between San San Antonio and Austin. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we're still. It's already happening in places like Lockhart. Mm -hmm.
0: Like Lockhart has gotten super cool.
1: Hundred percent. Which is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But but the the
0: the problem is I don't think it's going to be these places because the problem with Lockhart is the prices. The real estate market has already caught up and said, "Oh, cool stuff's happening here. We're now now we're Austin and we're going to charge what Austin's charging."
2: It's terrible. So, again. I think that Austin and the surrounding areas are fucked hmm. for, like, a 10-year horizon hmm. because my pizza restaurant went out of business hmm. five years ago, Lucky's Puchas, which is a, a Italian sandwich, and... Um, our slogan was eat my pucha. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but it was because we were we were literally 8% profitable as a restaurant which is which is pretty decent. Like you're profitable restaurant. Guess what? Our lease ended and the landlord was like, "Hey, we're going up on your rent 5%." Yeah.
0: Where was the location?
2: <clears throat> uh, West 5th Street over mm-hmm. by um, You know TNT Tacos, if you remember that, it was it was right over there in uh, what's that neighborhood called, Clarksville? Yeah, not super bougie. Uh, Mm
4: -hmm. Is it Clarksville? It's west of Clarksville. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Yeah. it was just right there on West West uh, Sixth Street, Mm -hmm. Fifth Street. And so they go up on our rent five percent. It was like this is exhausting. There's no way we're going to do this for three percent. And the I'm going to throw out so much shade. The Gables owned the building, Mm -hmm. and I said. Don't go up on our rent. You have five other businesses next to us. Um, there was a sushi restaurant. There was a real estate group. There was a wine bar. And I said, I will spend all the dollars that you're telling me that you're going to go up on me on. I will prove to you month by month that I spend that in ad dollars driving tr- driving foot traffic through ad revenue mm, to this mm. location. Because there's no way we can survive if we don't do that. Mm. And they said no, and we said then we're leaving, and we left, and th-
1: everything left, <laughs> and
2: and and then two, I think two other businesses within like a year went under. Mm-hmm. Our space was empty for three years. Wow, L- no exaggeration, and it was just like we offered a marketing play to drive foot traffic mm-hmm. to your area, and it's you this said where,
0: like, no. Bar Peached is and. No, this, was it closer? Where like hold
1: out, Mean Eye cat like right across. the Mean I and cat, and, yeah. And...
2: Mean I cat was well, and then there was a uh, what's that bar right?
1: Don's, uh, Depot, Don's Depot. Don's Depot was right mm-hmm. across
2: street, literally right across street from our gotcha. from our pizza restaurant. Mm-hmm. And now it looks like it's a. We had a twelve thousand dollar imported Italian wood fired <laughs> oven. I remember that. Oh my god, yeah. it was it was beautiful. My uh my the the main operator, he was from Italy, and we were open in our soft open, and he was like, James, people are asking. For for me to cut the pizza, I'm like, "What do you mean? Are you are you not cutting the pizza?" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, no, we don't cut the pizza." And I'm like, "You mean you're giving them the whole pizza? You're not cutting it into slices?" He's like, "No, we don't fucking do that." That's he's like, "They're not children; they can cut their own pizza." I'm like, "Dude, this is America. Got
0: to cut the pizza." And he's
2: like, "Ah, oh, he's lost his shit." Wait, hold
0: on. They're not cutting pizzas in Italy.
2: And, eat, and you get your own. You get a whole pie, and then they give you a knife and a fork, and you cut your own slices
0: that's some bullshit because you can't cut a pizza with a regular they, they, knife
2: well they give you they give you a good knife they also will give you the what's that roller called i can't remember pizza so slicer. he Roll was <laughs> he was too diehard italian and then after he finally started cutting the pizza he was like james they're asking for ranch dressing <laughs> oh <laughs> what do i do and i'm like you give
0: charge them a
2: <laughs> dollar and give them ranch dressing and he's like he had a fucking anxiety attack. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so then eventually... I hate that. And then, I hate... I do not <laughs> support anyone who dips their pizza in ranch dressing. That's me.
2: Uh, anyway, <laughs> so I forgot what the whole thing brought up. But, oh, the landlord, it was just like... They were like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. They didn't give a fuck. They were like, you can't pay it? Get out. And it was, to me... And then it sat vacant
0: for three years.
2: But they didn't... But to me, They didn't care because they're gables and they own... Thousands of, I mean, they own tons of property.
0: Hmm.
2: What? If there's a loss, they get to write it off. So that was the moment when Austin told me, when the city told me, that if you couldn't charge the prices that were high, if you you had room for $3 tacos or you had room for Jefferies and higher-end places. And that mm-hmm. was, and there was no middle ground at that point. I think that's why you did well, is because your coffee – was a high caliber mm-hmm. there was no room for middle tier con- uh, f- food consumption at that point
1: mm-hmm. yeah i feel like i go on on this but i think that's i probably, think we had to wrap this up man this could
4: go, we,
2: we, yeah.
0: we we
1: could almost do a whole podcast on austin just in, yeah in general yeah but <laughs> well it's
0: okay. i mean we can yeah let's, come back let's yeah, do it again let's
1: do that again i think yeah. that'd be fun because there's so many aspects of, of of austin that i'd love to get into as far as you know, landlords versus like my brother and I back in 98 at Metro Espresso Bar, we had this sort of dreamy idea that Austin was the Athens of today. And Uh. it's just kind of fun for me to actually see Austin kind of become the Athens of today. Like over that, that was like a progression, just seeing all the ideas and the thought leaders coming to your South by Southwest was kind of one of those Aspects, I think that was kind of a catalyst in that area. But uh, I think there's still a lot of great things. But I think Austin's moving into instead of being a uh, a seed bed, it's becoming more of a uh, of a more advanced releasing of things into the world. Sure. Uh, it's it's kind of moving up to more of like an intermediate to professional rather than beginner to intermediate <clears throat> space. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that are negative about that. Well, too. maybe exactly
0: as we were talking about earlier. Like, if you love something,
1: and you want it to mature,
0: you're mm-hmm. kind of going to have to let it go. Yeah. So like we have to kind of let go of the parts of Austin that we were all mm-hmm. raised in. Yeah. That we really loved, mm-hmm. and actually rejoice in the fact that Austin's becoming like super successful and famous. Mm-hmm. So, like, very famous. You yeah. know, that's awesome. It is awesome, and we've all been a part of that. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know? Totally.
2: You've sold. Impeccable coffee, <laughs> your coffee at your coffee shop downtown. Mm-hmm. I've written the best poetry in my life <laughs> drinking a cappuccino from your baristas, man. That inspired me to like finish that term sheet for that mm-hmm. investor. I met a person that invited me to talk on uh, speak at TED talks at your coffee shop.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Like you're
2: the you're you're like the the city grew and you were the hub. Mm. For that kind of stuff. Mm. I fed them tacos, raw protein tacos. You gave them inspiration.
4: So, Well, cheers kudos. to that. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. That's awesome. Well, thanks, James, for coming on, man. man. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Thanks, guys, for, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure.
4: Let's do it again. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely.
2: 100%.
0: Thanks, everybody out there for listening. Yeah, thanks for coming to Shores. And actually, sincerely, I love you. Yeah,
2: yeah. I love you. A hug <laughs> from Michael.
1: <laughs> and embrace. <laughs>
2: And I like to just kind of wave at everybody mm-hmm. at the camera. Oh,
1: yeah. I forgot that we were even on camera. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. See you guys. Bye. Ciao. Bye.